Okay, could you stick up your hand if you enjoy the work that you do? Yeah, that's about half, that's not too bad. And that includes, includes the children, you're allowed to stick, you're allowed to enjoy school. Okay, it's okay to enjoy school. Okay, um, stick up your hand if you get on with your boss. Now, you might think that's your teacher, uh, mothers, that might be your children, if that's, you know. Uh, stick up your hand if you get on with your boss. Um, it's a nice feeling, isn't it? I mean, those of you who didn't stick up your hand, uh, I sympathize with you. I've had a couple of difficult bosses, uh, certainly heads of department. Uh, but it's a really nice feeling, isn't it, when you get on and your boss trusts you. In fact, I think that that trust is what helps you to flourish at your work. Um, and I'm sure that some of you are extremely good at your jobs and some of you are well respected at your work by your colleagues and by your clients. Um, well, what if I were to tell you that your relationship with your boss or the respect you have among your colleagues or the trust that you've worked hard to earn from your clients, that counts for nothing and that is something that cannot be relied upon. Well, you're probably thinking, why have I worked so hard then? You know, surely that's something worth something. The Bible tells us is that this is something that we've got to be careful about putting our trust in. There is only one person to trust, and that is God. From others, even though we may get on with them, and it's good to be uh, well-liked and well-respected and to work hard and to be trusted, we, we may still experience persecution and betrayal. And we see that most powerfully in the passage we're looking at today. We're looking at Daniel. Um, so if you've got the Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. We use the ESV version if you're using an app on your, uh, on your phones. English Standard Version. And when you turn to that page, uh, just hold it there and I will... Uh, let me pray and then we'll read the passage. Father, we thank you that you've given your word to us even through thousands of years to preserve this story about Daniel. Help us to trust that your spirit has kept us true and that your spirit is working now to open up our hearts and minds to understand what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, reading from Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom the set of these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. 
then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the councillors and the governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and force an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Darius knew that the document, uh, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, where he had, his, uh, where he had window in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave, gave thanks to his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea from his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction. O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and his mind uh, set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, that the that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of the Lord uh, of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at the break of day, the king rose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came to the, uh, near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel. O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. 
May God send his angels, uh, angel and shut them. Uh, my God sent his angels, uh, angel and shut the lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations and languages that dwell on, in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that all my royal dominion uh, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall uh, be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the king uh, in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Well, this is a very familiar story, isn't it? We hear it all the time in, in church as children, and even non-Christians will have heard this famous story of Daniel and the lion's den. The interesting thing is that in the pictures I see from the children's books, you always see just a few lions. I mean, who keeps a den of lions just on hand to kill people? And, and they must have fed pretty well because they ate 122 satraps and high officials and all their children and wives. But who keeps that large a, a den of lions? But, but all the pictures show Daniel to be this strapping young man, sometimes with his top off, you know, bare-chested, uh, sometimes with a, a beard, as all serious Jewish men have, sometimes middle-aged, but the historians and the scholars would uh, say that Daniel, at this point, is in his 70s. Just imagine that. You're thro just, I think, just thrown into the den may have broken some of his bones, but he is in his 70s and he's still working as hard as anyone else in the office a couple of months ago I talked about Joseph who uh, as you know uh, was sent to Egypt uh, and enslaved and was bought by Potiphar and after a couple of months he was put in charge so trusted worked so hard so trusted that he was put in charge of Potiphar's house now he would have been 18, between 18 and 20 at the time. He was 17 when he was sent in, uh, he, was, he was enslaved. So probably 18, 19, 20. And he was put in charge of one of the most powerful men in the, the empire at that time, his house. And I said, I held him up as an example of never being too young to be passionate, a passionate witness for God. Well, here's the other end of the spectrum. Daniel is in his 70s, and he's still being a passionate you know, uh, witness for God. 
And it's interesting to note that Daniel is working just as hard for his Gentile masters as he would for any Jewish master. There is no excuse for us to be not working as hard for whoever our boss is. These are the guys who uh, exiled Daniel, took him from his homeland, who serve foreign gods, who worship foreign gods, and even set themselves up as gods. And he's working just as hard to be a witness for God. Just as Joseph said to Potiphar's wife, I will not commit adultery, I will not dishonor uh, this house because it will dishonor God. He is just as passionate working for, uh, for whoever his master is because it honors God. Now, um, we see that Darius is tricked into signing this ordinance, this law. And you kind of wonder what he's doing. Well, isn't he doing exactly what we've seen throughout history of all rich people or powerful people or rulers uh, or dictators? All through history, we've seen people trying to set themselves up as God, haven't we? So you see, flattery makes fools of us all. Look down, they, they, just right from the start, they, are, they know what his weak points are and they, they toady up to him and they say, right from the start, they say, uh, O King Darius, live forever. It's, it's sickly sweet, isn't it? Uh, all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, we all agree. In fact, this is probably the only time in history where 122 uh, politicians have come through and agreed on anything. But they all come, come to Darius and they toady up to him and they flatter him. You can be God. And they conspire to bring Daniel down. And this brings me to my first point. Prayer is essential in our relationship to God. I wonder what your quiet time is like, your prayer life. If it's anything like me, when I get up in the morning, it's a real struggle uh, just to get up in the morning and then when you get up in the morning, it's busy, busy, busy. I've got things to do. I'm thinking about my classes. I'm thinking about you know, uh, doing my various duties through there. I'm trying to run through the day. My prayer life sometimes gets left behind in the morning. I try and pray in the shower. I try and uh, pray before meals. And, but I wonder, if you were asked to stop praying for a week, how would you react? Probably think, mm, pro- I wonder whether there's weeks gone by where I haven't prayed. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm ashamed to admit that probably there may be, and maybe I could manage it. Don't pray for a week. What if it was a choice? of not praying for 30 days or death. It's an interesting one, isn't it? While I start, I don't think I could do that. The, the, kind of, the rules lawyer in me thinks, well, you don't know what's going on in my mind. 
I can pray in my mind. I can pray in the shower. You're, gonna, you're not going to be check. I hope you're not going to be checking me on, in, the, in the shower. And I find it great because uh, this last term, because I'm invigilating exams, I'm, I'm supervising exams, and as I walk around the exam hall, I've got nothing else to do. Uh, I'm, I, I try and start praying. And when you're at the dentist, I'm definitely praying at the dentist. Um, you've got you've to pray. When somebody's got something in your hand and it's drilling away, you, you pray. And when I'm getting a haircut, you can't read or you can't do anything else. I, I pray. But you can't tell what's going on in my head. What does Daniel do? And I'm thinking, seriously, Daniel could have gone to his basement shut the window, shut the door, stayed in his house, pretended like he was just having some time to himself, reading a book. You could read a book and pretend to pray. What is, you know, but no, Daniel sees this as the most important thing to do in his day. Three times a day. That puts to shame the times where I struggle to pray in the morning, when I forget, when I get too busy. Daniel sees this prayer life. Remember, it's something that he has done previously. This prayer life as more important than death. It puts me into, into mind the child who, when they first leave home, goes away for the first time. They have to ring their mum at least once a day. And I have to confess, I'm not very good at that either, but... It's right, isn't it, that the child who loves their mum, I'm I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, children. Um, I know I'm really bad at that. In fact, the first time I went away on a a, a, a Christian holiday uh, a week, you know, my mum rang me up and she said, you must be enjoying yourself really, you know, too much. Like, I think five days in, I I hadn't rung my mum. Okay, but it's right, isn't it, that a child who has that relationship with their parents will ring them up and want to talk to them and tell them how excited they are and how much fun they're having and share with them. Some of my close friends I used to ring every day and we used to talk every day when we first got to know each other and we used to be excited to do that and share that. Some of those who are in your relationships maybe you know about that or you're, you're, you're married you ring each other, you're excited, you feel that you have to do that. And that's important in the relationship, isn't it? For Daniel, he values his relationship and frequent, a frequent and regu- regular communication with God above death. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Do not be afraid of those who, can, who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and uh, and body in hell. (coughs) How true this is of Daniel. So I have to ask you, and ask myself, how much do you value your prayer life? And if, and what does your prayer life say about your relationship with God? Prayer is essential in our relationship with God. It's a very small thing, prayer, isn't it? Just um, 
it, that this being asked of Daniel? Is it a very small thing? It seems like a small sacrifice. We see in chapter 1 that Daniel's asked to uh, eat food sacrificed to idols. Now that's a big no for the Jews. In chapter 3 we see that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are asked to bow down before a golden statue. Now these are big gestures. And it's obvious that we should stand up and say no. We saw when ISIS took over various cities that Christians were executed. They go around the houses, are you a Christian? What would you answer? It seems like if you're going to stand as a Christian, you would say yes. These are big things. But to be asked not to pray, well, that seems like a small thing, doesn't it? And that brings me to my second point. Persecution can be subtle, it can be insidious, and it can be surprising. But we can trust God when he, we honour him in all things. So persecution can be subtle, it can be insidious, and it can be surprising. But we can trust God in all of these things when we honour him. You see, Daniel was well liked by the king. In fact, we could say, go as far to say they were close friends. Daniel, Darius loved Daniel. Daniel, look down at verse 14. Darius was distressed when he heard of Daniel's imminent execution. He then goes on to spend the night researching a way to get Daniel out of trouble. And then when he's in the lion's den, he doesn't sleep. He denies all his normal pleasures. He is one of these ancient kings who would have had all sorts of things going on. But he denies all of these things and then gets up really early and goes to the tomb, uh, goes to the, uh, the den of lions. Now, you don't do that for someone who is just uh, an acquaintance or even someone you see as a, a servant. Someone you like, even. You may not do that for. So Darius knows Daniel, has got to know Daniel, and sees him as a close friend. He loves Daniel. Daniel is loved by the king. He's also well respected by the peers. Sorry, let's go back a, a second. So it's, I mean, the irony th here is that Darius, who wanted to make himself God, well, he can't do anything he wants. He can't be God, can he? The one thing that he really wants to do, which is to set Daniel free, he can't do. He has no power. And instead he ends up telling Daniel, um, I hope that the God who you serve continuously will save you. Just as no ruler's authority have power except for what God gives them. So Daniel is well loved by the king. He's also well respected by his peers. Verse 4 says... Then the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground of complaint against Daniel with regards to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was, he was faithful and no error or fault was found, him, uh, found in him. Does that remind you of someone? Well, let's talk about that later. 
So he's well liked by he's loved by his boss, well respected by his peer peers, unbelievably good at his job. How does he get in trouble? How can he get in trouble? 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21 to 22 uh, 23 says I'll wait uh, if you want to turn to that 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21 to 23 it's just a short passage so you don't need to uh, turn to that you should re- uh, you may recognize it for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. I have talked about this before, but a few years ago my pastor was preaching about this very passage. And at the end of the sermon we had some question time and I asked him, so as Christians... If we are witnessing for God, should we be suffering? And if we're not suffering, should we, are we doing something wrong? And he asked, answered me this. No, we shouldn't be looking for suffering. That's just masochistic. Um, but if you are standing as a witness to God, then persecution will find you. And surely enough, a, just over a year from that date... I had a disciplinary hearing from my school over a prayer letter that I wrote to parents. I had the respect of my peers. I'm no Daniel, but I would say I was well respected among my peers. Both my head of department and my head of year I considered good friends and they also respected me. Um, And I knew that the parents uh, of my form, of the students at my school liked me. (coughs) But I also knew that the school had issues with my Christian witness. It was a difficult time, but what it taught me, what I really should have known from this story of Daniel, is that our faith and our trust should be in God alone. Not in my reputation or my standing, not in how hard I worked or how liked I was by either the students or my colleagues or the parents, or my my seniors. It was like those support structures which I relied on were ripped away. And I was left with just one support structure. And that was God. And that taught me to trust in God and God alone. You see, Daniel's surprisingly calm here, isn't he? He goes home to pray in verse 10. He says, as he has done previously. Yeah, as he had done previously. Despite the threat of death, he goes about his normal business. And he was thrown into the lion's den. As he is thrown into the lion's den, he goes meekly. He goes quietly. There's no cry of innocence, no exclamation (coughs) of injustice. No pleas for help. You see, Daniel trusts God and God alone to deliver him. But it's in these small things that they will get you. In these small things that you will be asked to compromise. 
When I was a boy, uh, just in my sixth form, I'd just come into sixth form, applying for university, another Christian, an older man, suggested that I don't put down my church activities on my university application. I'm glad that I ignored that advice now, looking back. And I think to myself, really is as if the God who created the heavens and the earth would allow human decisions to change where he wanted to place me. Now, I wasn't under threat of death, but I have... I'm not, for, I'm not certain, but I, I'm pretty sure that I've lost jobs that I've applied for just because I've talked about my Christian activities on my CV. And those can be quite painful when you think you're perfect for the job and you lose that uh, opportunity or you're passed over from, for a promotion. Um, but where we don't compromise, God honours us. You see, persecution can be subtle, it can be insidious, and it can be surprising. But we can put our trust in God when we honour him in these small things. Now, you'll be pleased to know that my last point is fairly quick. And some of you might have spotted this coming uh, already. Just like if you ask a a Sunday school full of children, uh, what is this passage all about? And the little boy who's there every week, who's been every week there for Jesus! Like, well, it's about Daniel. It's like, no, Jesus! Well, that's, that's right. Jesus is the answer here. And you may not see it, or you may have already seen it. So a man, we have here a man who could be found no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So they conspired to use his faith against him. Does that sound familiar? So we have a, uh, we have, uh, a man who without complaint or exclamation of innocence quietly, calmly and meekly goes to his execution like a lamb to the slaughter. Does that sound familiar? If we look down at verse 17, because you always need three three examples. And a stone was brought and laid it on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet. Does that sound familiar? In Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives a sermon before he is martyred, and he lists and talks about God's chosen man being persecuted, even to death, to stand for the salvation of his people. God's chosen man will be persecuted, even unto death, to stand for the salvation of God's people. And this is Daniel. Some of you might straight away ask me, but Daniel's not standing for the salvation of his people. He's standing just because he witnessed for God. Is he standing for the salvation of his people? Well, let's put this passage in context. In the following years, when Darius 
dies, and as soon as in the first year, king, uh, uh, year of King Cyrus's reign, Ezra <coughs> leads the exiles back to Jerusalem. And exiles from every nation that the Babylonians, the Medes, and the Persians have conquered return to their homeland. And read at the bottom of this passage, what does it say? It says, This Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of, King, uh, of Cyrus the Persian. Who do you think would have been put in charge of this mammoth task of sending exiles home to every nation? Daniel would have been char in charge, even though he will have been well past his, uh, his retirement date. He would have been old, as old as you can imagine. And yet he was put in charge. And all of the officials who might have opposed this, well, what's happened to them? Lions have happened to them. If only we could do that sometimes to the bureaucrats. Sorry, that's been going on. Um, but that bureaucracy is put out of the way. And Daniel is given clear authority and put in charge of his people returning to the promised land. The salvation of his people, just one step. You see, God's chosen man is being persecuted for the salvation of God's people. And Daniel is a foreshadowing of Jesus. The lessons we learn from Daniel, his faithfulness and godliness, that shine much brighter in the fulfillment of the scriptures in Jesus in Jesus Christ. So as we look to Daniel, we have to look to Jesus. And we learn that uh, from the way that Jesus was faithful in prayer and teaches us to pray. Just as Daniel was faithful in teaching us to pray. We learn from his uncompromising example in putting God first, both in Daniel and in Jesus. We fall to our knees and acknowledge the salvation that they have brought. And we look to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, what an amazing example. This human, Daniel, uh, in his 70s, is standing clear and strong for you, uncompromising. Lord, help us to learn to value our relationship with you so much that we cannot help but want to pray. Lord, help us to realize that you are the God of creation and to fear you and to love you so much that we will put nothing above you. And as we look at Daniel, help us to see Jesus, your son, and continue to live our lives in example and witness for the salvation, for that death that we don't deserve. In Jesus' name. Amen.